You cannot let a rogue state like Tanzania continue destroying indigenous people who are absolutely innocent and armed. People who cannot defend themselves, whether in court of law or militarily or in any way. We have no access to media. We have no access to healthcare. We have no access to water. We have no access to anything. How do you just come and destroy a, such a harmless community like that one? Welcome to the Border Chronicle podcast. I am here in the Masai Mara in Kenya, where I have been for the last week. I am sitting here with Meitame uh, Olo Dapash, the director of the Depoy Center, a center for education and community organizing. Uh, Meitame is also the founder of the Maasai Education Research and Conservation Institute and an inspiring Maasai leader. Um, Meitame, it's a, it is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm really glad that you're, you've been able to visit uh, Maasai Mara for the second time. It's been a while since the last time you were here. But it's always a pleasure to see you, Todd. Thank you so much, Meitame. I really appreciate it. It's really really quite an honor. It's been quite an honor to be here um, uh, sitting with you for the, the last week, learning learning from you and learning all about what's happening here in the Masai Mara in southern Kenya, but also on the, on the Kenyan-Tanzanian borderlands. Um, yesterday, uh, we made a trip out there um, and I was able to see for myself um, some of the things that have been happening there. But first, I just wanted to ask you um, about, you, you know, how you're up, you're, like how you viewed this border throughout your life. Um, is it true that your, your, mo- your mother is from Tanzania? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh... For those who do not know, the Maasai community uh, occupy northern Tanzania, southern Kenya, and so uh, it's a cross-border community. And, um, you know, I mean, this designation of somebody belonging to Tanzania and Kenya and so forth, it's, uh, it's uh, of course, uh, political administrative boundaries. And uh, But for us, the community... We don't know where these borders are. So when I say my mother is from Tanzania, it's based on these artificial boundaries that have been created uh, by, you know, the first colonial system and uh, enforced by the independent regimes in this region. So, yes, uh, going by that, my mother is from the Tanzanian side of the border and the rest of the family are on this side of the border in Kenya. Could you explain how... This boundary was was um, placed here to begin with. Yes, if you are familiar with um, you know Africa's or East, let me be specific, East Africa's uh, uh, colonial history, or rather the continent, actually the continent of Africa. I think you know that um, Africa was carved in somewhere in Berlin. Um, you know, in the 1900s there. And, um, uh, you know, the uh, Europeans sat uh, in an office or in some place in Europe and uh, basically partitioned Africa um, into what is known today as, uh, you know, uh, countries. 
And um, so the boundary that we have in Kenya today between Kenya and Tanzania is an international boundary. Uh, it was created, if I you know, recall very well, uh, the Tanzania-Kenya boundary was created sometime around uh, 1900, around there. And is, Tanzania was German East Africa, and Kenya was British East Africa. We were both, uh, or these two countries were, um, but, you know, colonial protectorates, as, as they called it that time. So um, the boundary was for a very, very, very long time. We didn't even know where the boundary uh, existed. So uh, any government could lay claims on us. Um, any government would claim, you know, if, if there is an offense that has been committed, you really don't know. You didn't know which side of the border you belonged. The Tanzanians can claim you to be their citizen, the Kenyan uh, side of the border. Uh, can claim you to be their citizen. Each one, each of these two nations wanting to punish you or to, so um, the the political colonial boundaries is what you see today. Nothing has changed since the British left. The same boundaries that they used are the same boundaries that we exist within. Uh, you know, of course, then Kenya has its own laws uh, pertaining to the border. Tanzania has its own laws. Uh, the problem is, uh, you know, the natives, the indigenous Maasai community have to be subjected to these two different laws because uh, we are a trans, trans-border community. And uh, the politics of the boundary is beyond what I can describe here. There are, of course, political uh, issues, there are economic issues, there are land rights issues, there are... It's, it's, uh, there are a myriad of problems associated with these uh, colonial boundaries. And that's, of course, notwithstanding the fact that, uh, you know, leadership and representation of the Maasai people uh, is also another very contentious issue uh, that is dictated by the existing colonial boundaries. Uh, and I call it colonial because even though we, we call ourselves independent, both in Kenya and Tanzania, uh, neocolonialism still exists, and this uh, neocolonialism current system, uh, the current system of neocolonialism is, you know, affects us every single day along the border. Tanzania first got independence, and that was in 1962. Kenya got its independence in 1963, which is just a year later. And... Uh, what really happened is uh, for indigenous communities, especially, let me just talk, continue talking about the Maasai people who live along the, you know, the uh, Kenya-Tanzania border. Uh, we, we, we have not yet, and I don't know if time is within sight, um, seen uh, the, independ- the so-called independence, uh, uh, the fruits of independence, Fruits of independence is, 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 means basically that you have the right to determine your destiny. You have the right to, uh, you know, uh, you, you have the right to live your life. You have the right to, um, you have the right of speech. You have the right of uh, movement. You have the right of um, cultural practice and, and all those things. That is what I mean when I talk about uh, fruits of independence. This, the, the system, these systems in both countries should have actually ushered in an era where Maasai people 
unlike the colonial times when we were placed in what, what they called Maasai closed reserves, we should be enjoying all the uh, rights and privileges that are accorded to every citizen in this region. We are not seeing that yet. We don't have freedom of movement. As you saw yesterday, you saw children running away because they thought we were Tanzanian military. Uh, we do not have the right to herd our cows, and yet we are not within. Uh, we are not employed in the in in the Tanzanian, uh, you know, within the economic system or the, even the political system. We do not have the right to own our land. Uh, you know, it's being annexed and taken away from us at the will of the state. So we uh, we haven't seen any changes yet. We haven't seen. Um, you know, uh, enjoyed the rights that are, that are um, you know, enshrined in both our constitutions, the Kenyan constitution as well as the Tanzanian constitution. So neocolonialism to us is a real thing, it's a life thing. And um, again, we have to deal with both states because we are a trans-border community. Yeah, and that, that brings me to um, what's been going on this year or in this past year at the Kenya-Tanzania border um, kind of exemplifies some of the things that you're discussing, right? Um, can you tell, can you explain to us what's, what's been happening over the last year or so um, on the border? Yes, absolutely. Uh, just to give, a, you know, kind of a little bit of background information, uh, at independence in Kenya, we lost 75% of indigenous Maasai land to the colonial settlers. We lost another 40% after independence. And that means that uh, what we considered Maasai indigenous territories uh, before the arrival of the colonial system, uh, very only um, about 60% of the 30% that were uh, left to us by the British that we still basically control. The same is true with Tanzania. Although Kenya is a capitalist state that, uh, that actually promotes uh, private property, individual ownership of land, you know, a real capitalist state where, you know, the individual economic and social political interests are paramount, the, 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 uh, the opposite is true with the Tanzanian government or the Tanzanian state where uh, they still practice socialism. Uh, land is allegedly, uh, I say allegedly because we still see individuals uh, grabbing land, but actually the, the, the whole concept is that land belongs to the state and that a citizen can only occupy that land for as long as the state has no use of it. So we've been dealing with these land-related issues uh, in, you know, both in Kenya and Tanzania. Um, on the last one year, the last two years actually have been very dramatic for us both in Kenya and Tanzania as both states continued to clamor for land, to demand land for industrial development, for large-scale agriculture, for real estate development, all these kind of things. Um, so in 2021, um, the state of Tanzania felt that... Uh, uh, there is there is an existing uh, cooperation in Tanzania. There is a cooperation called Otello Business Company or Corporation, 
which is owned by the royal uh, the royal family of the United Emirates, and they've been there for approximately about twenty years now, or twenty three years. Uh, initially, they occupied just a small portion of Mass Island, which had been taken by force and allocated to um, Otello Business Company again, which is a business of the royal family of the United Emirates. And uh, two years ago, the state decided, one year ago, the state of Tanzania uh, was approached by Otello Business Company with a request to expand uh, this hunting uh, ground. And again, I want to mention the name is called Loliondo. That's the name of the place where Otello Business Company is based. Uh, But a year ago, they approached the Tanzanian government and requested for the expansion of the current territory they occupy. Mm. The current territory or the previous territory was 4,000 square miles. They wanted it expanded to 6,000 square miles, about 6,500 square miles. And um, with that request uh, on the table, the Tanzanian government decided that they were going to claim more land, to take away more land from the Tanzanian pastoralists, from the Maasai pastoralists in Tanzania. And because, um, you know, I mean, it's not uh, easy just to displace people from the ancestral land, the land where most of these people who have, have been born, you know, we've raised generations of children in this place and, we know everything, we know the rivers, we know the mountains, we know the hills, we know the type of wildlife there, we know the entire landscape. So there is absolute attachment uh, to this land. And so when the Tanzanian government decided they wanted this land, the community said, we are, we are not going to give you our land, we will continue to use our land to raise our children, to take care of our wildlife, which is a very important asset for us. Uh, to herd our cows. As you know, Masai don't till land. We use land mostly for, mostly, and I say mostly for uh, livestock herding, uh, pastoralism. So um, it's been a very, uh, um, uh, you know, contentious issue. The Tanzanian government telling the Masai, you must leave this land. And the Masai saying, we're not going to leave this land because we don't know where else to go. You took, uh, you know, most of our land 20 years ago. Now you are taking the remainder of the land. Where are we going? And it's been a very, very, very contentious issue. And as I told you yesterday during our drive, that um, the Loliondo community is so isolated. It's so remote. I mean, that is basically, as you saw, there's no road into Loliondo. Absolutely no road. Um, but in the middle of this uh, wilderness country, you have a very big airport where Otello Business Corporation flies in uh, very big planes. So anyway, the Tanzanian government evicted last uh, June, June of 2022. They decided that they were going to evict thousands of Maasai people and their livestock and created, a, you know, basically um, a, a border, a boundary, let me call it a boundary, that this community was not allowed to cross, basically. And that, that takes away two, an extra 2,500 uh, square hectares of the Masaila. And that came at a cost because many people were beaten up, 
Many people have been killed. Children, you know, uh, during that commotion when people were being fired and uh, with life bullets and uh, and and you know, use of machete. Many children just fled their homes and disappeared into the wilderness. Some of them cannot be found to date. Older people, uh, you know, escaped and died in the in the forest. It's been a real human tragedy in Tanzania on the, along the border. In 2000, I did uh, an extensive research into the activities of Otello Business Corporation. Otello Business Corporation, as I said earlier on, uh, is a family business of the Royal Family of the United uh, Emirates. And their interest in Marseilland is to capture uh, wild uh, animals, all species, and ship them to somewhere in the Middle East for zoos and I don't know what other uses. They also engage in um, trophy hunting. In other words, they would go out, uh, set up uh, baits. And when I talk about baits for, for carnivores, they would uh, place meat in cages and the lions or the leopards or the cheetahs would try and get, get the meat and of course, you know how the trap works. It just closes and they would then either shoot that animal for trophy or uh, lift its life to somewhere in the Middle East. They've also uh, created uh, artificial salt lakes where animals come in large numbers to lick these salts and they would be shot. They would, in, during my research, I witnessed, uh, you know, these people using... Uh, semi-automatic uh, weapons to kill the, the animals. And sport hunting is a very, very bad thing because I saw um, even, you know, just like people on holiday um, having a beer and waiting for these animals to come and drink water or to come to this artificial salt lake. And then they just shoot the animals because, you know, it's just a hobby. It's, it's, it's like a practice target. And for us, that is absolutely offensive. For the Maasai people, it is offensive to destroy nature in that manner. You cannot, as a human being, you absolutely have no right to destroy nature because you didn't create it. Um, you are supposed to respect nature. And we recognize that nature is or creation for this matter it's not complete without every single species existing and thriving, actually, not just existing, but thriving. So um, that is Otello Business Corp. What Otello Business Corporation does, it's, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it hunts for trophies, it exports wild uh, live animals. It's chaotic and it's at, uh, some kind of resort, like a very private destination for you know, the rich and wealthy uh, friends or relatives of the royal family of the United Emirates. So there was, because this company in cahoots with the Tanzanian government was trying to grab community land from the Maasai people in Tanzania, as you said, there was evictions and um, all kinds of things going on. And and if I know the story correctly, and it was in June of um, last year in 2022, when you here at the Depoy Center and um, on, on the Kenyan side of the border um, began to see refugees coming from Tanzania. And, and so I'd like to, what, what happened first? And then what was your response once you found out that there was this 
big crisis going on. Yes, absolutely. Actually, the first date that uh, there was massive movement uh, of Maasai people fleeing, um, you know, the Madras actions of the uh, Tanzanian uh, military uh, forces, uh, that was June 15. And what happened is, as I said earlier on, the Maasai were told to move and they said, we have nowhere to go. And the government then resorted to the use of force to remove people from the ancestral land. They burned schools, they burned churches, they burned villages, and they actually killed people. They shot people with life bullets. They killed tons of wildlife, uh, I mean, uh, tons of uh, livestock. And, and to Maasai people, livestock is everything. We don't have supermarkets. We don't have uh, farms, large-scale farms. We don't have... Um, jobs, we don't have anything. Our entire life is dependent upon livestock for food, milk. And if you want some money, you can sell one cow or one goat and you get money to do whatever you want, or you want to do with the money. So June 15 was the first time that uh, we got word that uh, there was a massive exodus of Maasai, especially women and children crossing into the Kenyan um uh, crossing the into Kenya, basically. Uh, here at the poison, our first uh, action was to try and establish facts. To although we have known for this, we have known for a very long time about this problem. And as I said, I personally uh, led a group of five researchers. We did research uh, for a total of uh, two years to establish the operations of Otello Business Corporation. So we already knew what was happening in Tanzania. We knew even that time when we were doing research, people were still being shot and killed, but on a small scale. Like if a hard man uh, strayed into uh, Otello Business Corporation controlled land, he would be shot and his cows would be shot. But that was on a very, very small scale. So uh, we already knew that there was problem in Lolion, and we outlined all these problems in our report of 2000. Now, um, so when we, and we've been trying to follow what is going on, and, and we knew that there was tension building. Uh, only that, you know, we, every, you know, you're always optimistic that there's going to be an amicable resolution of, you know, this problem, and the Tanzanian Maasai leaders were, you know, trying to reach out to the world to say, okay, please save us from uh, this impending disaster. Those, are, those leaders were arrested, and a lot of them are serving jail time today for just for telling their people, don't leave your land. They haven't done anything else, no other crime, just organizing the community and telling them we are not leaving our land. And that was a big crime enough uh, in Tanzania to put people, leaders in jail. And I'm talking about 26-something leaders who are still serving jail time. Um, so then we left uh, here, the Dupoy Center, and we went and spent a couple of days uh, uh, at the border where we were yesterday and beyond and drove about 50 kilometers along the border where this operation was taking place. And we were able to establish uh, that this was a really, it was a humanitarian crisis, but one that is happening in a very dark corner of the world that no media uh, sees, 
Nobody sees what's going on there. It's in the wilderness, in Marcelan, very remote. There is no road. This absolutely you cannot access this community. And our work here at the Dupoy Center, we are privileged because we have access to internet. We can reach out uh, uh, to people, to NGOs. We can reach uh, communities, other communities, massive communities in 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 Kenya and mobilize uh, solidarity with our brothers in Tanzania, uh, our cousins, our mothers, our aunts. These are our people. These are our relatives, as I said. So um, we spent two days. And in fact, uh, during that uh, uh, mission, we saved probably about, about 10 children. We just found, you know, wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> you know, when I talk about wilderness, it's very hard for somebody in Nairobi or London or even, uh, you know, Prescott or, you know, some place in the U.S. to. It's very hard to uh, visualize. But this is, uh, you saw it, it's a wild country. There is, a, you cannot be sure, you can you cannot walk, uh, walk um, a kilometer through this land uh, and be sure that you are going to complete that one kilometer walk without running into an elephant, a lion, a cheetah, a hyena. This is a really wild country where, you know, the you know you can only go a few yards uh, uh, before you start checking what's around you, whether they are elephants or whatever. So you can imagine children, the ages of uh, two years, three years, four years, five years, uh, uh, wandering in the wilderness you saw yesterday. I showed you these things in real practice. And we rescued some children. We ran into, um, just ran into children running all, in all directions and were able to, uh, and and the sad thing is they were running away from us. They thought we were the police. So we had to be really like, run faster than them to catch them before they disappear, you know, again from our sight. So um, it was a horrible, horrible, painful situation. People with, uh, you know, deep cuts on their necks, on their backs, um, head, legs, everywhere, and bullet wounds, and it was just horrible. So we had to bring that information. Of course, the first thing we did was to try and, you know, save the children that were that that were that had gotten lost in the wilderness. We were able to at least, and I'm telling you again, some children have disappeared up to now. They've been eaten by wildlife, or they died of hunger in the wilderness. And you know, same case with the older people. And but nevertheless, we were able to create like some uh, um, just bush. Uh, centers where we would take medicine, we would take food, we would take water, we would take clothes because it was a very June is uh, it's a rainy month normally in this region, and uh, at one camp we had about uh, two hundred women with children ranging be between one week, one week and you know nine months and or one year. All these children were sick. And I'm telling you the truth, very, very, very sick because they had been subjected to very cold conditions. So we needed to find clothing for these children, um, uh, at least find a place where 
you know, you could light fire so they can sit around the fire and feel warm. But then you have to protect them because it's a wilderness. And this, this is a camp, we, you know, without tents, without a roof, without nothing. You're just uh, putting up a tent under the tree, basically for the whole night. So we had to find men to, pro- to protect these uh, women and children. But then we had to buy blankets what, you know, for the night because it's cold. And the Tanzanian police are pursuing them, you know. Um, and you know, so there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of, you know, crying because many children had gotten lost. And after that, after, and then there was a one very nice clinic on the Kenyan side of the border. There's this guy who was, uh, uh, who's a doctor and he agreed to volunteer to treat these people. So we had to order medicine from Nairobi, uh, cut cartons and cartons of medicine to treat these children with pneumonia, with, uh, chest infection and colds and it was really 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 bad it was just one of the most horrific sight i've ever seen in my life and i you know i was telling you yesterday i broke down so many times because i just couldn't even now i'm just almost feeling emotional i just couldn't fathom a state doing something like this against its own innocent people, people who have done absolutely nothing. But anyway, here at the Poise Center, we um, we had to reach out and publish this information uh, to get the attention of the world. We reached out to uh, news organizations like BBC. Um, we reached out to, you know, uh, NGOs. In fact, uh, Red Cross uh, came to one of the camps, temporary camps that we had set up and they brought medicine. Uh, they were very, very helpful, Red Cross. Um, and so um, here at the Depoy Center, ours was to pass information to people to who would be inclined to help, to support people in position of power. But it was a very, very difficult thing because... Um, Tanzania immediately issued a warning to the Kenyan government that, you know, you cannot allow our citizens to cross into your country um, and continue to think that, you know, we'll uh, maintain uh, close diplomatic relations with you. So it was almost becoming, you know, a diplomatic uh, issue. Uh, but Kenya, you know, we would not let the Kenyan government send our people back to, to the hands into the hands of the waiting military on the other side of the border. So that's what we did at Dopoi Center. We uh, just made sure that there was a sufficient food, uh, medication, and then we began now sharing all this information. We posted all this stuff on the uh, on Facebook on sent by WhatsApp uh, messages. We created networks of people to share all this information. And I, and I think that a lot of information went out. The unfortunate thing is the Tanzanian government still went ahead and, um, and evicted people from that land, as you saw yesterday. So that land, we drove the uh, length of you know that land. You saw yesterday, there's no human activity there now. People have been kicked out. Uh, you saw people are still very timid. And I, I think we fear that they might uh, want to, uh, you know, to expand that territory again. 
um, but we don't know. So that's where we are uh, as of now. We also reached out to the UN. UN headquarters in New York had written a letter to the Tanzanian government to suspend uh, its operations. Uh, they wouldn't listen. Uh, also, we went to court in Arusha, and the court, incidentally, was uh, so afraid of hearing this case, and uh, they just postponed it. They kept postponing it. Meanwhile, the Tanzanian government is on the ground uh, undertaking um, its uh, operations, except for to rid the land of the community. So, yeah. It really, you know, when I was, when we were there yesterday, I really, you know, all you're saying, you could really feel that mm. in the air. Um, and it's so recent, right? Like this just happened and it certainly does feel like a live issue, even though um, the police themselves, it seems like there's, I guess we were seeing tracks of their, yeah. their t- tire treads. They're still doing patrols and coming up to the Kenyan border um, and they're still around, but they're, but it seems like at this moment, they're not in the in in the communities shooting at people and burning houses at least not at this moment correct but it also feels live like it could yes. could um happen so that's that brings that's to, that brings me i guess to the probably the last question yes. and we we can continue following up on this issue with the border chronicle for sure what do you think is important that people know about this situation right now. What do you think is important that the international community knows about this situation? I'm guessing that a lot of people haven't heard anything about this because, as you said, there hasn't been um, enough media coverage about it. And what, what, do you, what are your thoughts going forward on this situation and how, what, what do you think could happen? Yeah, um, yeah. so just, uh, uh, just to back up a little bit... Um, the what you saw yesterday, yes, true. Uh, there is no shooting of uh, community members right now. Uh, the patrols you saw, I think you saw, um, you know, tire tracks, and we were told by the, the, the young lady and uh, the people that we met uh, that you know they are patrolling there every single day. What what they are doing there is um, okay, enforcing the new uh, border basically. Uh, but at the same time, there is a bigger thing that uh, often is not, um, um, th- that doesn't become obvious to a lot of people. And that is the psychological impact that such an operation has on even children. Like you saw those children running into the wilderness. You saw them yourself. The question is, how did small children like those ones know that they are in danger? Why were they running away? It is in their mind that uh, the state is there to kill them. The state is there to uh, kill their parents or to capture their animals. Um, and so the psychological impact, the trauma that such a border operation, that such an operation has on children, on the women particularly, uh, because women, I bet the, the trauma on the women is even greater than any other person because they are seeing their husbands being killed, they are seeing their children being tortured, their children are getting lost in the wilderness. They, they have nothing to live for when you lose all these people. 
And so for me, I think that um, the, the trauma itself is something that has to be known uh, because when you talk about human rights, and surely, I mean, if, uh, if, this, if this is what state, uh, uh, nation states mean, then I, I think that it is, it is just uh, it's a situation that is absolutely barbaric. And I personally wouldn't want to see anything uh, like what we saw happen with my community, happen to any other individual or community in the world. It is horrible. So what we want people to know, number one, is that this community needs a lot of psychological help. And we don't have, like, counseling going on. We don't have any programs that are doing some kind of educational outreach uh, to um, educate the people on how to deal with a situation like that or having come out of a situation like that. We don't have that kind of thing. now. So uh, two things. One is for the global community and especially institutions like the U.S., I mean, uh, sorry, not the U.S., I beg your pardon, the U.N. The U.N. has a greater responsibility to make sure that all citizens of the world, their rights are being respected and being observed. You cannot let a rogue state like Tanzania continue destroying indigenous people who are absolutely innocent and armed, people who cannot defend themselves, whether in court of law or militarily or in any way. We have no access to media. We have no access to healthcare. We have no access to water. We have no access to anything. How do you just come and destroy a, such a harmless community like that one? I think that the UN has a moral duty to put pressure on the Tanzanian government to respect the rights of the Maasai people and to make sure that the, the land that has been stolen and given to an individual family uh, cooperation is returned to the to the thousands and thousands of Maasai people who are homeless right now. Uh, right now in Kenya, we have probably about twenty thousand refugees, people who are who no longer have a home. They are they've been absorbed on the Kenyan side of the border, um, and and the Tanzanian government is saying, if you've crossed into Kenya, you are not a Tanzanian. So those people are not even allowed to go back and reunite with their families if they can locate them. Because some people have been shipped to some other regions, region of the Tanzanian state, basically. So that's number one anyway. We, the UN must continue to put pressure on this government to respect the rights of the Maasai people, return that land, and, uh, and hold to account that the government of... Samia Slo, who is the president of Tanzania, to she must be held to account for the deaths of thousands of, of livestock and hundreds of Maasai people. Number two, I think that the global community, because sometimes what I see is when a problem happens in the West, mostly, like what we are seeing in Ukraine, or what if you know when a situation, a human rights situation happens in the Middle East or in South America, or in these other uh, parts of the world, the global community is usually up in arms, saying you cannot do this, putting pressure on the state. Economic sanctions are, you know, uh, slapped on the state that is committing these uh, uh, crimes against humanity. The Tanzanian, in this particular case of the Maasai people, 
nobody is speaking. We are encouraging uh, the same world that fights for the rights of people everywhere to consider and to appreciate that Maasai people are just human beings like everyone else. The last thing that I think needs to, hap- to, to happen is um, the media. I think the media is uh, continues to be an incredible way of uh, highlighting issues that are affecting environment, that are affecting humanity in general. And I think that because we lack access to that, we, I don't know how, what we could do, but if we could, if we could get people who are interested, volunteers who are interested in highlighting these issues firsthand, because as you know, the reason uh, we visited the, uh, the border with you yesterday is so that you get firsthand information, uh, accurate information right from ground zero. That's what we did yesterday. So I would wish to see, um, um, uh, I, I would wish to invite any person or any institution that is interested in human rights and in particularly uh, by use of media to you know, to work with us on this. We have so much information that has not been shared. We need to share it for the benefit of the Maasai people who are currently suffering, as well as the rest of the humanity, because I bet what, what's happening in Tanzania can happen or is happening elsewhere in the world. So we'll definitely keep uh, an eye on the situation uh, if you have you know, if there's updates to it or um, we'd be happy to like continue doing coverage. You are updating uh, regularly in different places, right? Um, where, where can people um, find you or or um, where, where should people go to find more information from you on yeah. this? Yeah. So, yeah, the easiest way to get hold of us is uh, you go to Maasai. Maasai is M-A-A. S-A-I-E-R-C, all one word, E-R-C, Maasai, E-R-C, dot org. And you'll find our contacts there, uh, our email is there, our phone numbers are there, and uh, we, will, we will respond because um, ours is to build a network of com- global community that works on issues uh, that affect humanity, not just here, but across the globe also. We, we, in fact, uh, we, we have uh, indigenous communities that we work with in South America in some parts of uh, the Middle East and so forth. So uh, that's the best way to get hold of us. Maasai, M-A-A-S-A-I-E-R-C, uh, .org. And uh, we'll be very happy to hear from anybody who is interested in being part of this effort. Yes, and that goes for all you journalists out there listening to this and people in the media. Um, yeah, please, please do contact um, Metame. Thank you, Metame Olo Dapesh, for, for um, your time today. It was really an honor to have you on the Border Chronicle podcast. I sure link, Todd. I hope it won't be too long again before we see you back here in Kenya. I sure link. Thanks for listening to The Border Chronicle, reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona, and edited by me, Hannah Gaber. This episode is part of a three-part series being reported from Kenya, so check out the show notes for links to Metame's organization and more stories from Todd's trip. 
If you like what you're hearing, please give us a follow and tell a friend who also supports independent journalism. You can read and listen to more local border reporting, subscribe, or make a donation at thebordercronicle.com.